I got to a point in that race about halfway through that like I woke up and I was crying every single morning because I was just so happy to be alive and breathing. Like Mm -hmm. I was the most, I was the happiest person ever, even though I was starving for like three days with no food. I'm exhausted, all muddy, haven't taken a shower or anything. No comfort item. I was just so happy to be alive. Welcome to the Zero Quit Podcast, where I bring you candid conversations with elite athletes, entrepreneurs, specialists, and other creatives. I'm your host, Brock Covington, and through these dialogues, you will hear powerful stories and practical advice that will help you live a more active and intentional life. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Zero Quit Podcast. Today, I have on Hunter Leininger. He is a creator, ultra runner, mountaineer, and adventure racer. He owns a variety of records, including being the youngest finisher of the world's toughest race, Eco Challenge in Fiji, seven-day adventure racing world championship, and a bunch of other races. He holds the FKT on, I think, two different trails and is currently preparing to be the fastest to run across the state of Florida. And all that to say, I think you're younger than me as well. I believe you're 20 years old. Is that right? Uh, 22. Okay, 22 now. Because I, I was looking at a reel of yours, and I think you referenced the Corona thing, that you had that Corona oh, sponsorship. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess at the time, you were uh, obviously underage. But gotcha. you're still technically younger than me. I'm 23. But it's nice to meet someone else um, who is around my age and kind of humbles me as far as sometimes I feel like, you know, I'm doing good in comparison. Not that I look to my peers in comparison but and, and look at that relativity, but, you know, sometimes I... I need this new point of comparison to be like, okay, I got to raise my bar. I got to raise the stake. So uh, how are you doing today, man? Good, man. I, I literally just filmed a video talking about that of like people look at other people on social media and compare themselves to them mm-hmm. and like kind of it makes yourself feel bad when you see somebody else doing something insane that you never thought was possible. Mm-hmm. But it's like we should flip that on its head and like look at Courtney DeWalter running all three hundred milers as like yeah. inspiring like man that's what humans can accomplish not like oh she's so much better than all of us it's mm-hmm. like no this is we're all the same we're all humans there's nothing different between you and i we're all made of the same things yes we have different backgrounds but we can all accomplish the exact same things yeah yeah like there are the genetic outliers but like you said yeah. I, I think my last podcast uh, i guess there'll be a few before this one was about that kind of discussing looking to people like yourself or courtney and not looking at them as, oh, they have some inherent skill or talent that I could never have, and looking at it as, you know, why can't I achieve that or something similar? Um, especially with the young age thing, I'm sure you get this a lot where, you know, you're uh, either adults or other people that, that you meet that are older, they look at you and they go, oh, you're, you're doing so much at your young age, or, oh, like you're so ahead of your years. But I always go to the perspective of like, okay, that's cool and humbling at the time. It gives you a little sense of pride. But also you realize that your youth is finite and that at mm-hmm. some point you're going to be 30. And if you don't kind of attack life with the same attitude and urgency that you do now, then that, oh, you're ahead of your years or you're doing better than your peers or whatever it is, or you're on a certain pace or track, that's going to leave you by the time you're 30, 40, if you start to get kind of lax with it. Totally. And that's been my whole like mission from the beginning of like when I wanted to do adventure race at seven years old. And my dad mm-hmm. was like, no, kids don't do these endurance races. It's not allowed at all. And after like begging him, he eventually let me in. And then from there, it was like every single big goal I had, everybody would be like, no, just wait until you're a little older. You're mm-hmm. too young for that. But then it's like people fall in that mindset of like pushing off their dreams for yeah. the next year and then the next year and then the next year and it's like i won't run the marathon until i'm a little older and when mm-hmm. they get older they have kids and they can't do it so it's like i see that trend with almost everybody so it's yeah. like why don't you flip it on his head and it's like if you have a dream just go do it what's the worst that can happen if you fail 
it's okay. You have 20 more years to figure it out. But yeah. um, I'd rather not wait on doing something crazy. Like the Florida trail thing. I'm about to run 1,100 miles across Florida. Like I was like thinking of doing that five years down the road, but I'm like, why can't I just do it now? Mm-hmm. I'll just go do it in a few months from now. So Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point too because there are certain things where, you know, it's like, oh, well, I'll wait till 2025 to run my first 100 miler or I'll wait till – x amount of income before i start this business or or whatever it is or even sometimes like little goals like okay i want to buy this investment property or i want to buy this you know in like five years it's like well what would it take to do it in three years you know or what would it take to start investing in that now but since you brought it up that was you know a place i wanted to start with was racing at such a young age what was that introduction and that exposure to adventure racing and it kind of ties into like the other question i was going to ask so you can go which ever avenue you'd like with it but the influence of your dad because it seems like he was the big catalyst for bringing you into the sport in the first place yeah it was it was crazy so like i hinted on um i started adventure racing at seven years old so adventure racing if somebody doesn't know what that is it's basically off-road triathlon but instead of swimming you're uh, paddling so it's run bike paddle all off-road with no set course you get a map and a compass and you have to navigate everywhere you go there's no fans there's no support you're all on your own anywhere from like a four-hour race up to like a 12-day non-stop race with no stopping no sleeping or anything so it's like ultra running but like you put on crazy endurance mountain biking and um, long distance paddling all in one so i my dad has been adventure racing for 20 years now so when i was a kid i just grew up watching him adventure race and i was always like cheering him on the sidelines i'm like i want to do this with you Mm -hmm. and like i said at that time no kids were doing endurance sports it was like unheard of Nobody knew if it would like stunt somebody's growth and cause some health issues and stuff. So nobody would allow any kids to do it. I eventually convinced my dad and my dad had to convince the race director to let me just do a six hour adventure race. I did that six hour adventure race and I just like fell in love with it. The main thing for me at that young age was I fell in love with just being with my dad. There's yeah. no other sports out there that like you could do it with your dad. Like when you're playing football, your parents on the sidelines cheering you on. But in adventure racing and ultra running, endurance sports, your parents are in the fight with you. Mm-hmm. You're racing together. You're bonding. You're getting through struggles together. And that just really like grew us closer. So from then, it's just like every year we'd be like, hey, what's the next thing we can do? And my dad always think like, always thought I would like phase out and not want to do it anymore. <laughs> but I just like fell in love from that very first race. And we've done over 100 plus races together. And just every year going up and up longer and longer up to the World Championships and Eco Challenge. Mm-hmm. But um, I think growing up, it was very interesting being a kid because I didn't have that many supporters except for the racers out there. The people mm-hmm. that saw me racing knew I was healthy, knew I was loving every moment of it, and knew I was safe. But, like, everybody at home, even, like, my grandparents and my aunt and uncle, yeah. like, nobody supported me. Everybody's like, this is so bad. Like, getting mad at my dad for letting me be in out here, doing all this stuff. So. It was a nice, like, when I went out in the woods with my friends, like, they all supported me. Mm-hmm. But then back in the outside world, people were like, oh, no, this is too dangerous. Um, but it was also funny in, like, school. I could never explain to people what I did. Like, growing <laughs> in elementary school and middle school and even high school, like, telling people, oh, yeah, I run hundreds of miles on the weekends and go out in the woods mm-hmm. with a map and compass and I don't sleep for five days in a row. What? What? <laughs> I just ended up telling them, yeah, I run like long distance cross country. That's it. Yeah, it's it's a lot easier to say a point guard on the basketball team, right? Than trying to explain that. There's a exactly. there's a lot of points you you brought in that I want to dig deeper on. So that that is a really good point. And 
I, I was curious to see if that was what was a driving reason behind the sport was bonding with your dad. Um, cause that is a really good point. You know, most of the sports you do, even if it's a team sport, you're out there with your, your buddies, your peers, you're not out there with your family or your father. Um, and, and as I've experienced and obviously you experience all the time is there is a different level of bonding and memories made and almost like transcendent experience that you have with somebody when you are pursuing these really arduous, wild, adventurous experiences, um, especially when they're multiple days. Uh, and I think there's a lot of growth that happens through that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just interesting to see that that relationship, how, it, how it's probably grown and, and, and tightened even further through the years. Um, another point that I wanted to ask you since you, you dove into it was, the experience that the really the consequences of that unorthodox childhood where I was going to ask mm-hmm. you if you were homeschooled with all the like traveling, different things you do. It sounds like you maybe weren't. And so I wonder what the pros and cons have been of probably constantly being surrounded by adults in the sport doing that and having less and less uh, relation to your peers because you have such a different experience and interest in them. Oh, that's such a great question because I don't think anybody's ever asked me that or that style of question because it was interesting because every weekend I would be out adventure racing with a bunch of adults. The average age mm-hmm. for adventure racers are 40 to 50 year olds, like no kids, like all the records I was beating, somebody was like 25 Yeah, when I was beating them when I was seven, whatever. So it was like no kids were in these races. So every weekend I'm with a bunch of adults, every, every other weekday I'm training with my dad and his friends that are mm-hmm. all 40, 50. So I had this unique, like being raised by my peers, which are all 40 and 50 year olds. So like, mm-hmm. I feel like I had the best education ever because I could just learn from their life lessons yeah. really soon. And they didn't see me as just a little kid because I'm doing the exact same thing as them. So they were willing to like share all these life lessons with me and I could really just pick up on that. But then I was still in school. So I was still in school, but, um, I would like skip so many days for races and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the good thing about being a smart kid in school, I guess they didn't really care. They're like, oh yeah, Hunter misses like 80 days a year. It's no big deal if he keeps his grades up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and that was the interesting thing of like, I feel like I didn't have a real connection with my kids in my school that were my same age because they were talking about video games and doing random partying on the weekends mm-hmm. at parties and stuff. I, I never got into that vibe of like, I had a moment in like, especially high school, um, was freshman year. I was like looking around. I'm like, if I want a life that everybody else wants, I'll follow the path that everybody else around me is doing. Mm-hmm. But if I want a different life, I need to like go the complete opposite. So I think I went totally complete opposite of everybody else. Maybe I shouldn't have gone all the way. Um, like <laughs> I wasn't like, I'm not hanging out with anybody. I'm not drinking. I'm not partying. I'm not going prom i'm not doing any of that stuff even though i was like such a social and popular kid in school i never really had those close friends in school Mm -hmm. because all my close friends were out doing endurance racing and they're all 40 50 year olds so like my best friends now are in their 40s and 50s not my age yeah what i found and i haven't done as adventurous stuff as you but as far as having peculiar interests being a little bit more it doesn't sound like you're introverted but at least you have you know, you don't have the uh, mass population, general pop, uh, you know, social groups, um, is that you do lose a bit of that relatability and a little bit of that 
um, social cohesion with your age group and your cohort. But what you do gain is the relationships that you do have either with older adults or, or, or older peers, I should say, um, or you know, peers that are within your sphere, your same interests, those bonds are a lot stronger because you have that kind of shared experience of being a little bit more of, you know, and it has this negative connotation, but outsider, you know, a little bit more of that unique case. Um, and so I think it's, it's a difficult path. It's sometimes a lonely path. Uh, it's definitely a unique one, but it's rewarding at the same time. Um, as far as these adventure races, uh, one question that I was thinking about that it, it sounds a little bit deeper than it probably needs to be, but you can go with however you want is I like deep. Yes. Here we go. So when you're out there in, in nature, do you feel like it brings you closer to being face to face with your own mortality or does it operate as a distraction from that existential crisis? Oh, I totally think it's close to mortality because Really, no other sport out there allows you to spend days on end out in the woods by yourself or just a small group. Like, especially ultra running, like most of the runs I do, I don't have like a bunch of pacers and everything. Mm -hmm. So I'll run hundreds of miles by myself. Unsupported, yeah. And like, even with training, like I train by myself. And I don't feel like there's any other sport that allows you to have that much alone time to think. Mm -hmm. So it's like all my problems, I just go out for a long run and I think it all through. And like, the, just growing up, I've done. 16 years of adventure racing that like spending hours and hours alone in the woods or just my dad or just my friends whatever um yeah you definitely think a lot of things out and mm -hmm. it, it for me i'm not running away from anything i'm running towards a lot of things like yeah i going out in the woods i discover so much about myself and about humanity and everything like point case like my last crazy big adventure was i was on a tv show called race to survive alaska and i got dropped off in alaska with no food no supplies or anything and just the gear in my backpack and my dad and i had a race for hundreds of miles across alaska surviving off the land mm -hmm. and um like starving every night and no comfort items we had to make a fire every night to cook our food fish hunt all this stuff and still race and i got to a point in that race about halfway through that like i woke up and i was crying every single morning because i was just so happy to be alive and breathing like mm -hmm. I was the most I was the happiest person ever even though I was starving for like three days with no food I'm exhausted all muddy haven't taken a shower or anything no comfort I, I was just so happy to be alive and it's like I don't think you can get to that point in any, any other sport any other realm even like me me doing ultras I still have all the comfort items like mm -hmm. people are there to give me food and gear and stuff but like being off the grid for 40 days like I can't explain how like powerful that is for me. Like yeah. it was my biggest lesson ever that I could literally be happy in life if I could just breathe in the morning. I don't need anything else. Do you think it's because it narrows your focus to your biological needs and those basic necessities rather than these external factors or materialism that we bring into our lives? A hundred percent. The only thing we had to focus on every morning was wake up, hike a couple dozen miles, yeah. and then collect food, make a fire and go to sleep. That's it. There wasn't any mm -hmm. phones. You couldn't take a selfie and post on your story and <laughs> brag about what you're doing. Nobody knew what you're doing out there yeah, until the no show TikToks. came out. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I think that's such a key point that I, I don't know how we solve it because I think, not I think, I know. I mean, our, de our depression rates, anxiety rates, stress rates, they're, they're just skyrocketing. The more stuff we add, the more things and, and electronics we add to our lives, more distractions 
we add and it's i don't think there's any way to put the genie back in the bottle and kind of like revert society back to simplicity and i don't know if that's for the better but i think maybe a a mediation or, or like solution to the problem would be having more experiences like the ones that you or i have um not that we're perfect but you know to have those more experiences where we are alone we are out in the wilderness we do have these moments of singular focus um, that we are stripped away from all these different external stimuli or distractions. Um, and that, that might just, yeah. but because I, here's where I'm tying it in is because you, you made the point of you wake up and like your only focus is like to eat or to move forward or to hike. Yeah. And you have a very clear purpose and path versus when we don't have a very clear vision of where our life is headed um, or what we even want in life. We don't have that kind of in- inwardness and self-awareness than we do feel anxious and stressed by the uncertainty or the unknown totally and to to deal with it i don't know how to like the solution in a sense i don't think everybody should live off the grid and that's the (laughs) happiness to life i feel like i always encourage people to like try to get into this type of sport because that's the main motivation for me it's like Mm -hmm. that's the biggest lessons i've learned was like how much stuff you could figure out about yourself if you just go out in the woods and go alone or go with a few of your friends, whatever, and just get away from everything. Leave your phone at home. And it's like, that's been the most profound experiences for me. So it's like, I would recommend doing these adventures, doing these things, learning about yourself and humanity, and then bring it back to your everyday life. And you just have a different outlook on it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you need to ditch everything and throw out your TV and stuff, but you look at it differently. You, you look at it as, man, this is amazing that we have this opportunity to have a tv in our house not like oh it's just common that's just a Mm -hmm. thing a part of our life and again you focus on your basics you focus on the only things that really matter in life tv does not matter what's the next kardashians are doing on show does not matter to you Mm -hmm. what people on social media are doing that doesn't really matter it's more of what matters to you is your family food enjoyment in life all that stuff so um yeah, I think just doing adventures and then bringing those lessons back. And it's like, if I figured out everything, I wouldn't be doing the adventures. But I don't have anything <laughs> figured out in my eyes. Like, Yeah, still out there learning. So I just keep <laughs> doing it, yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about a little bit. You referenced the uh, reality TV shows you've done. So um, you could tell me if you've done one earlier than this because I'd love to hear what that first experience is like. But one of the ones that I wanted to ask you about was that world's tough or racing world's toughest uh, race eco challenge. So what is that? Okay, so um, the World's Toughest Race Advent- Eco Challenge, it was basically the first adventure race ever back in 1998. It was the first adventure race that really made adventure racing a name, brand, whatever. And it was a 10-day race across Fiji, running, biking, canoeing. And they had like, that's the basic adventure racing, running, mm-hmm. biking, and paddling. But they could throw anything at you. They could have stand-up paddleboarding, rock climbing, whitewater rafting. Hmm. 20 different disciplines roller skating all these random things and that's the cool thing about adventure racing is like you do it and you just have to be willing to adapt to the situation they kind of like crossfit in that way where they just change the events every year um yes and no it changes for every race so like you show up to the race you know you're you sign up for a 10-hour adventure race but when you show up you don't really know where you're going Mm -hmm. you don't know how long it's going to be mileage wise um, you don't know if you're going to be biking the whole time and then running for a little bit and paddling for a little bit. So you show up, they hand you a map and a compass, and mm-hmm. then they you know the entire route. So it's like, oh, man, I have to go all the way up that mountain and then all the way back down and then go that way. So it's 
a mystery. So event racing started back in 1998 with the Eco Challenge show. And Mark Brunette is the producer of The Bachelor, Survivor, all the MGM, the major mm-hmm. like TV network for reality. And he, he started with Eco Challenge. Before Survivor and Bachelor and all that stuff, he was Eco Challenge. Um, it went on for four years and then it just died off. It was on Discovery Channel, it just died off. And mm-hmm. then for the past 20 years, I guess, it's been just average adventure races that are not televised and just it's kind of a small group as big as i think it is it's it's pretty small compared to ultra running at least and then in 2019 they announced that they were bringing back eco challenge mark brunette was bringing it back and bear Grylls was the host of the show Mm -hmm. so i was like oh this is amazing like i've always wanted to do eco challenge that's what got me into this sport and I just turned 18 so i was allowed to do eco challenge because it was an age limit Mm -hmm. so um we have Somebody reached out to me and said, Hunter, you should apply for this as a cast, the casting director reached out to me. And I got, I was like, I got to do this with my dad and my mom and my friends and whatever. So we applied and we got on and I was the youngest person to ever finish Eco Challenge. And it was a 12 day adventure race across Fiji again. And it was again, running, biking, paddling, but then there was like 20 other disciplines, outrigger, sailing, um, kayaking, canoeing, Santa paddleboarding, rock climbing, um scootering like all these crazy things they just do everything at you mm-hmm. and it's um a 10-part episode on amazon prime you can go watch it it's it was mm-hmm. super fun one thing i was gonna ask earlier about the adventure racing so you mentioned that like it sounds like there's not many rules like you make up your own route it sounds like from what you're telling me but yeah. i guess you can't really like you're not going to cheat your way except the fastest route possible which would be within the rules that right so like what what kind of constraints do they have as far as rules the only real rule is no cell phones no gps devices no watches nothing so it's just map and compass and you could choose whatever route you want so there isn't a set course like with flags or anything marking Mm -hmm. you hey stay on this road then turn turn on this trail it's like there's checkpoints so checkpoints are basically orange flags hanging up in the tree big squares you might have seen them in the woods orienteering races mm-hmm. and there's about let's say a 10-hour adventure race there's probably 10 of those checkpoints hidden in the woods on top of mountains in the creek whatever everywhere on the course and you get the map and that's the only points that are marked on your map and you have to find whatever way you think is the fastest to get to those flags the checkpoint could be on top of the mountain some teams might think it's faster to go straight up the mountain bushwhacking with no trail, just going right through the woods. Some mm-hmm. teams might take the long road around that's three times as long. And the third team might take the trail that zigzags up it. So it's all up to you, whatever you think is the fastest. Mm-hmm. And that's where like adventure racing is really fun because it's not always who's the fittest wins this. Yeah. Where like ultra running, you know, <laughs> Courtney's going to win it. Whoever's <laughs> the fittest is going to win it. Yeah. There's no like X factor of like, oh, she can get lost or she, whatever. Mm-hmm. But adventure racing, like the best racers in the world are not the super fit jack 20 year old it's Mm -hmm. the 50 year old dad bods that have so much experience that can navigate and never get lost and like that was a big lesson for me as a kid like i would show up to these races with my dad and my dad's older and um we would find these like really fit like navy seal guys and Mm -hmm. i'm like dude those guys are gonna crush us my dad's (laughs) like don't worry about it they're gonna get lost and guess what we they sprint off at the beginning and then like an hour later we see them sprinting behind us like (laughs) how they get behind us and then an hour later they sprint behind us again because they go really fast in the wrong direction yeah where my dad and older teams whatever you're just walking straight to the checkpoint so it's like a really exciting sport because it's not always who's the fastest wins it's who's the smartest with speed 
what is the experience when you run into other teams or other individuals on these races these adventures what is that like is it you know more competitive i guess you guys aren't allowed to or you wouldn't want to work together what is that like yeah so that's a good thing about adventure racing is most people are super friendly like 99 yeah. of people are super friendly it's not a super competitive sport in the sense of like oh that's a team i'm not Cut gonna throat. talk yeah. to them i'm gonna punch their tires whatever it's like and it's sometimes it's better to work with people if you've been lost for a couple hours on one checkpoint and a team shows up you work with them and say, hey, guys, let's look at the map together. I think we've been attacking here. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, I think we need to go this way. Oh, okay, yeah, well, let's work together and try to find it. And then once we find it, let's break up. Okay. Um, so it's like a very social sport. It's not all about, hey, I'm all alone. I'm doing this by myself. It's working together to get the checkpoints. Gotcha. What are some of the behind-the-scenes realities with this type of show compared to a non-televised show uh, for example safety protocols or anything else that comes to mind um depends on what show you're talking about so I, i've done two tv shows the eco challenge in fiji and then i just did one in alaska of race mm -hmm. to survive i would say eco challenge um they did a really good job because um they were casting a bunch of adventure racers and us adventure racers are not all about tv and glamour mm -hmm. and social media like almost no adventure racer has social media um Besides me, I guess. Um, but it's, they did a good job not interrupting it. It wasn't like any cheating. There wasn't like, hey, there's a checkpoint over there for mm -hmm. TV. I need you to go get that. <laughs> um, but there was definitely interesting because you're racing the whole time and there's cameras everywhere. Yeah. So like there was a camera guy running alongside you for a mile and then another camera guy shows up and they run <laughs> alongside you. So it wasn't like that uh, spiritual experience that I'm used to of like being out in the woods alone. Which Felt is my, a little commercialized. Yeah, it definitely did. There was yeah. 10 helicopters flying overhead. There's boats. There's Bear Grylls backflipping off a helicopter in the water <laughs> and then coming up and interviewing us. Um, but it, it made it exciting. Like, it's hard to fall asleep when Bear Grylls is running next to you yeah. and interviewing you. Um, and then the Race to Survive, the Alaska one, that was a little different. That was um, definitely, it was a lot of racing, but it, it was a TV show they were filming. It focused on the TV show. Um, they didn't interrupt us. They didn't make us like there was no cheating behind the scenes or any like planning or anything. But it was more of like, hey, you're racing for 12 hours a day and then you're interviewing for like two, mm. three hours. And then you have to do a certain thing. And then so it was like Survivor, basically, but still had that racing aspect. OK, yeah, because I kind of answered the question I was going to ask. Is there ever moments where they want to dramatize or dramatize like the adventure in a way that like you said, like maybe you're like a mile from the checkpoint, but they want to make it look like a much more dramatic situation where you didn't know the checkpoint was that close. Are there situations like that? Totally. Not not in the race. <laughs> like But recreating it after? You know you know the power of editing. Editing yeah. can make anything look like anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like <laughs> so right eco challenges. Yeah, exactly. Right music, right cuts, zooming it, whatever. You could make like me on uh, TikTok, I can make a five second clip in any storyline I want if I want. But they had hundreds and hundreds of hours of filming. Mm -hmm. So for the Eco Challenge show, there was 12 t days, and they filmed 24 hours a day, and they had 100-plus cameramen with 60 teams. So they had so much footage, and they could splice anything together. So the funniest clip ever, of our team at least, was um, it was like day seven or something. We were on a stand-up paddleboard section, and the water all um, dropped. So all the, all the water ran out and we had to get out and kind of look around. And it was a really confusing point. So there's a scene of my dad and I like 
yelling back and forth. Hey, Dad, I think it's over here. No, it's over here. Mm-hmm. I think we're lost. And it was like literally five minutes of us like double checking our direction, but we weren't lost at all. <laughs> uh, just a little like double checking the direction. Then we kept going. And then on the show, we watched it a year later when it came out. Mm-hmm. And Berger is like, Hunter and Team Air Georgia have been lost for hours on here. If they make this <laughs> wrong mistake, they could be lost for days. And it's yeah. like so funny to me because it was like five minutes. And then commercial break, right? <laughs> exactly. Totally. Cliffhanger. So after doing all these adventure races, I do wonder what gets you more pumped or excited as far as is it these you know, televised or non-televised adventure races where they're like more organized or is it those personal pursuits, those kind of solo supported efforts that you've done more of late? Yeah, it's interesting. My journey with ultra running, especially because I've been adventure racing since I was seven years old and I just started uh, ultra running maybe three or four years ago. Okay. And I just jumped straight into it because for me and what excites me about ultra running right now is I'm not comfortable in it yet. Adventure racing, I've been doing so long that I'm super comfortable. Even after doing eco challenge, like I know I could go do eco challenge now and feel comfortable and finish. So even though it's the hardest sport in the world, I think it's way harder than ultra running. I've just been doing it so long. I'm comfortable with it. So for me, ultra running took me out of my comfort zone. And that's what I always seek. It's like Mm -hmm. what makes me uncomfortable. What about it? So obviously, because it's newer, it's going to be harder, like you mentioned, because you have more comfortability and experience with adventure racing. What about it feels harder because in my mind, there's maybe a tenth of the different factors you have to deal with out there? Yeah. That's that's the hard thing. So oh, you only okay. have to focus on running. You only have to focus on your legs. Where adventure racing, you have to constantly be thinking about all this other stuff. And you're with the team. And there's an underrated thing was um, I did my first um, FKT, which was a 300-mile Bent Mackay. Mm-hmm. with almost no training with almost no experience in ultra running i was like i'm just going to j- jump straight into it because i had the multi-day experience of adventure racing where i could stay up for five days with n- almost no sleep maybe an hour of sleep the entire five days and be fine so i was like oh i'm going to go into this ultra and not have any sleep and just push the whole time i can knock it out in three or four days mm-hmm. and it was a <laughs> really bad judgment right because away, there is something different about ultra running and adventure racing where especially with the sleep thing mm-hmm. and your body is um, with adventure racing, you're switching disciplines. So I might run for 50 miles, but then I, uh, as soon as I get tired, I basically hop on a bike. And it, just that little bit of switching disciplines yeah, yeah, yeah. relieves your mind, doesn't get you as sleepy, and then also your body has a rest. Well, even so, even with ultra running, uh, it's like the break of hiking. You know, when you get a steep incline, you're like, okay, like I kind of have an excuse to walk for a bit, right? Totally, and that's um that's what I'm scared about about Florida. I haven't ran in Florida in five years, and I'm a mountain runner. Like mm-hmm. I'm not a super fast guy, but like I could climb all day long without even feeling it. So it's like with Florida running, it's going to be really interesting. Me running the whole time when my body just like break down because I'm not used to running nonstop. But that was that's why I say ultra running is a little harder for me right now mm-hmm. um, because it is constant, just on your feet, and I've. I've always said when I was adventure racing, I'm mainly a biker. I was not even a runner. Like mm. running was like my worst discipline. So now running's like my main focus. So it's interesting to like get better at that. Um, I think it really comes to those multi-day races, multi-day FKTs where it's just like, I feel like it's so much harder on your body than adventure racing was for me at least. Where yeah. like a lot of other people will say adventure racing's, you can't compare that to anything else because it's every single part of your body's super uncomfortable in adventure racing like your fingertips hurt from just 
holding a mat or holding your bike, like every part of your body hurts. Where ultra running, it's like at the end of the day, your legs are the only thing that really hurts really bad. So yeah. Well, with the races you've done in the ultra world and also with the adventure races, what has been the hardest effort or race you've done? Oh, gosh. If you could Are you saying adventure choose. racing, ultras, and TV shows all combined? I guess all combined, but it, I guess maybe if it's hard to choose a specific race where you're like, man, that, that took it out of me in a unique oh, so way. There's three answers to that. I'm sorry. Uh, give me all three. So, one, the hardest race I've ever done was the world's toughest race, okay. an eco challenge. I, um, it was just a mix of everything. You had so much going on. It was 15 different disciplines for 12 days nonstop. We only slept for less than one hour every single day. It was just exhausting. Um, and then the toughest physical thing I've ever done was that my first FKT, the 300 mile bent Mackay. Because mm -hmm. what ended up happening was, um, one weekend, I ran the Georgia Death Race on a whim, like the day before I signed up for it. And Georgia Death Race is a pretty well-known race down here in the southeast. It's like 75 miles with um, 20,000 feet of gain, something mm. like that. Um, and I just showed up on a whim and did it. Ended up placing pretty well. And then like two days later, my friend Corey Waltering messaged me and said, Hey, Hunter, I'm running the Penhody Trail FKT, which is 350 miles through Alabama and Georgia. You want to come out and crew me? I know you just did a race, so I don't know how much you want to pace me. Mm -hmm. I went out there and paced him for 150 miles of it, <laughs> just off a whim. Um, and then I was like, man, I feel like I'm in great shape. I should go do my own FKT. Mm -hmm. So I can keep up with Corey on his FKT. I should go do my own. So then the next weekend, I signed up for, I did the Bent Mackay FKT with no planning, no training really. I was just like, I'll go do it. So within a two-week period, I did like 550 miles of running. <laughs> And it was like insane. Like I've never really, really trained much for ultra running. So for that experience, it was like mile 10, my knee was dislocated. There's a picture and I made a, a TikTok, um, Instagram reel about this experience, but my knee got dislocated and it was like on the side of my kneecap and I, it was swelled up so bad. Size of so a the, the kneecap itself, the, uh, yeah, the patella, right? It was, it was, uh, yes. dislocated. Yeah. yeah because of before. all the because all my my muscles and my all my quads were super tight mm. from the week before it was pulling and I it it pulled it instantly so from my 10 I looked at it and like I I couldn't bend my leg and it was swelled up I'm like I I'm only 10 miles in a 300 mile race I could quit right now and nobody would even blink an eye like you Hunter you got to have a good excuse you mm -hmm. ran 250 something miles the week before they're fine but I made a commitment to myself to start that FKT that I was going to finish it no matter what. That like the only way I'm not going to finish it is if it's going to cause permanent damage or I'm going to die. Those are like still my only two criteria is like if I start something, I'm going to finish it unless I'm going to die. And because in the moment, you always come up with good excuses that sound like good excuses. Mm -hmm. But when you're at home, you're like, no, that was not a legit excuse. And as much as you can convince yourself, I, I know I couldn't. So I made the commitment I was going to finish this no matter what. So for mile 10, I basically limped my way for 300 miles. Didn't really care about the record. I'm like, I'm just going to go and keep going as fast as I can and not worry. If the record comes, great. If it doesn't, luckily, I ended up going 300 miles of limping and still beat the record by a few hours. Um, but that was the most painful experience of my life of just limping. You went 300, 300 miles, miles with a dislocated knee? Yeah. And there's there's clips of it and pictures of it. It was it was so bad. And then afterwards, like And yeah. that didn't cause but permanent damage? It did not. 
No, it was like literally a month afterwards. I couldn't really run much, but I'm really, really good about massage rolling and stretching. That I think that's the most important thing ever. And so I was just doing so much of that afterwards, and it just went back to normal. What ended, what helped me with my mindset of not quitting at Myra 10 was my mom was a massage therapist. Okay. So she knew the body really well. And she basically started massaging my IT band and it was so tight, like at Myra 10. So it was like, that's what's causing your problems. So for the next 300 miles, we just kept every crew stop. We get a foam roller, a Did stick, and massage Did she slide the patella back in place, back towards the front of your knee? We try to use um, KT tape, mm-hmm. and that held it back in place for a while. But then by the end, it was right back to Okay, so it, was, it sounds like it was like a, uh, a dislocation nonetheless, but it wasn't like your patella was on the side of your leg. No, it wasn't completely on the side. It was like okay. shifted over, it was just, and it's like... Yeah, yeah. it was just... Uh, Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't the backside yet. It wasn't that far gone. <laughs> yeah, because I'm just envisioning it like on like, you know, by your like uh, LCL or MCL. And I'm like, man, that sounds yeah. like excruciating. But yeah, either way, it's, it's you know, not not centered as it, as it should, not operating as it should. Yeah. Um, so you got coming up here, I think a week from today, we we're talking about it before the we we're recording is the race across Florida. Um, talk to me a little bit about the why behind it. Is it purely like the reel you made about chasing Goggins record or... Or what's the, uh, the the reasoning? Um, no, it, it just the side effect that Goggins had this record. That's just the side effect of it. But um, it was truly, I'm training for 1,100-mile run across Florida. So from the south to the north tip, that's 1,100 miles. It's insane how many miles you can fit in just one state. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going for that record, which is 20 days. So I have to average about 55, 60 miles a day. And... I realized I haven't ran in Florida in like five years. I grew up in Florida my whole life, but I moved up here five years ago, up to Georgia. And I was like, if I'm going to run 1,100 miles, I better go train down there. So it was just like, I'm already running across the entire state, the length of it. I might as well run west to east, just so Mm -hmm. I could say I ran both, and also for training. Like, that's the main focus. I don't care about beating Goggins' record too much. I more of just want to treat it as a training run. And um, yeah, so 200 miles across the state, I, I planned it like yesterday, and or a few days ago, and I'm just going to go do it next week as casual training in a sense. Yeah, <laughs> well, and plus, you know, the Goggins thing definitely ideally brings more eyeballs, right? So that's, you know, yeah. you got to, and maybe that's the, the reality TV in you trying to bring out some more drama. Uh, what are the logistics behind it? Because you <laughs> you kind of surprised me that you just planned it a few days ago, but what are the logistics as far as packing food, um, any kind of support or crew or aid if you need it? Like, what is the the kind of plan behind all that? And I think that's something about my planning-wise that has helped because as an adventure racer, you don't have anything yeah. planned until the day of the race. So it's like, I think that's rubbed over onto my the plan um, is to have no where plan. Like, <laughs> exactly. Just be willing to adapt. I think that's the most, oh my God, that's actually the most important the thing I think in everyday thing, life. Adapt to overcome or improvise overcome, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. And I think you take that to everyday life. It's not just about ultras yeah, or adventure racing yeah. and all this. It's like, Whatever is thrown at you, if you can adapt, no matter what the situation, be happy with it. That's like the most powerful thing I feel like ever. So, um, yeah, like I've always been the one. It's like I don't like to plan races eight months in advance. That's why I actually don't really do that many ultras, mm-hmm. like name ultras races, because I just don't like signing up nine months in advance and just focus on training for that. I like always being fit that I could just do whatever I want randomly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the 200 miles across the state. I honestly haven't done much preparing. I've, I kind of freaked me out yesterday. I was like, man, I haven't even 
planned who's coming down or my resupply points or anything. So hopefully in the next few days I can plan it all out. But for an FKT, it's a little different because you don't have planned crew stops. You don't mm -hmm. have pacing sheets that you know exactly how far you're going to make into that section. So what I do is I basically go through the entire route. And since I'm doing unsupported, so support it adds a lot more complexity. If I do an unsupported, I basically just calculate how long it's going to take me. It's going to take me two days to run 200 miles. I need to pack two days worth of food, and that's about it. And I just go. Mm -hmm. um, but support it. There's so much to it. Of like, you have to plan your route. You got to plan um, how long it's going to be before resupply points, and then you got to plan your cruise route of mm -hmm. them driving to every single point. So for the next few days, I'm going to um, make a spreadsheet of every single crew stop and see the pacing. The biggest thing with FKTs is I realize it's really hard to plan out your pace because the course is not marked. You don't know the trail conditions. Unlike Ultra, those people are clearing the courses before you. Mm -hmm. FKTs, there could be a whole section that's a whole complete swamp up your waist. It could have hundreds of trees down. There could be a dude with a shotgun at the end of the street. So there's all these things that could go wrong on FKTs. So it's like, I feel like I fell in the trap of um, calculating too much of my pace and my spreadsheets and my times on my previous FKTs. And then after like a day, I would be so far behind my times that then it would play mental tricks on me and then mm -hmm. especially my crew. They're like, Hunter, you were supposed to be here three hours ago. Where are you? Yeah. So like I've realized just going to FKTs kind of wide open. You kind of want to have a plan, but again, adapt being able to adapt and not set on this plan that you planned at home. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest difference is you can look at FKTs all, long, all day long on fastandknowntime.com and be like, oh, I can run 100 miles in 24 hours. That's easy. That paces, I can run that all day long. But you're doing that at, in the comfort of your home. Mm -hmm. You don't know what it's actually like out there. And I, um, yeah, I fell in that trap for so many years. And now I'm like, I don't judge anybody. I don't judge any FKTs, no times until I actually do it myself. And then I still don't judge because it's a completely different experience. They could have done it five years ago when this trail wasn't that nice and it was a big bad storm. So I feel like that's just my outlook now. It's don't judge anybody or anything until you do it yourself. Well, this next question might be nullified, but it's worth asking. What is your training like for this? Because it sounds like you don't spend a ton of time directly running but maybe you've changed that a little bit over the past few years totally um my adventure racing training was basically do adventure race every weekend yeah and then do like one or two bikes during the week that was it and f the good thing about adventure racing is experience matters way more than fitness mm -hmm. so like i just did adventure race like a month ago and i haven't been on my bike all year and I just went out there and didn't end up winning just because I had the experience and I know how to navigate really well. I know all that stuff, but ultra running doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Like experience matters a little bit, but it mainly is how fit you are. So I've been training a lot more um, this past two years for ultra running, especially, but then I still keep that mentality of like being well-versed and like doing a bunch of crazy adventures that keeps me trained for the next adventure. Mm -hmm. It's not all about training every single day. Nothing can get you away if like, I get invited to go do a mountain run that's like 30 miles. I'll go do it, even though that's not part of my training. I think just having that flexibility has kept me happy and true to myself, but also it's it played off in training because I know any moment somebody could tell me to go run 100 miles, I could go run 100 miles. Yeah, um, so it's kind of like staying fit rather than getting fit. Exactly. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, with all the races you do and – all the traveling you do really 
do you feel like it's hard to establish routine or habits or really even call a certain place home if you're constantly out in the wilderness? Totally. And I think that's the underrated thing with people on social media saying van life is the best and all that <laughs> stuff. It's like, yes, it's great. And I, I do live in my ambulance uh, van mm-hmm. f- for a few months of the year. And it's like, it's great. But I crave the moments where I'm home with my desk set up and my routines and going, hanging out with people. It's like those routines I crave when yeah. I'm out on these adventures. But then when I'm here, it's like I crave those adventures. Mm. So it's like, I feel like I need to make a video about that, but um, about people are never really happy with where they are. They always want to move to Colorado. And then when you're in Colorado, you want to move to Alaska. And when you're in Alaska, you want to move to North. Like, uh-huh. I, th- I found that with myself. It was like my whole life, I grew up in Florida, and I hated Florida. I just wanted to get out of Florida so bad. I wanted to move up to the mountains. I moved to Georgia here. And then it was like a year when I was spending here, I was like, man, I just want to move to Colorado. Mm-hmm. And it made me realize, it was like, no, I don't. I don't want to move to Colorado. I need to be happy with exactly where I am. Because now I look back on Florida and I'm like blown away by how beautiful Florida is. And I like, I planned 1,100 miles across Florida, mainly because I wanted to see Florida again. So it's like people, I think, get in the rhythm of like always looking for the next thing. I need to go get that next car. And yeah. it's like being happy with where you are. But I think I it's, think, uh, um, not to cut you off, I think it's inherent in human nature. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, from Schopenhauer to Heraclitus to whoever philosopher, uh, pick your pick whoever you like. Um, they all kind of have this concept of being in flux and always desiring, always willing and never being, you know, always becoming, never being. And uh, I think it is something inherent in us biologically to where maybe it's because, and you'd probably relate to this more than anyone, as maybe hunter-gatherers or early on, we never had certainty. We never had comfortability, consistency, security. And so, you know, centuries down the line, we still have this, like, unconscious uh, uncomfortability with stasis, with the same thing, with monotony. So that's probably why we're always like, well... I love this laptop, but the next one's going to be great. Or this, this house is great, but what if I moved over here? You know, this is always like the next thing. And I think instead of trying to fight that biological urge, I think it is a mix of being content and being aware of that urge, like you talked about, but also um, allowing that urge to move you towards crazier adventures, greater feats, um, towards that personal growth. That might be like the... Uh, instead of trying to resist the like magnetic force, just going with it, you know. Yeah, you're you're dead on because it's like as much as we it 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 might not be a bad thing. Like, if everybody was content with everything, I don't think there would be any development in the world. Like mm-hmm. everybody would still be hunting, gathering, just chilling out, making a fire every night, eating food and sleeping. Like, mm-hmm. is that what we want, or do we want people to keep pushing the limits of what's possible and developing new things and? seeing what's possible. So I think it's just like a balance between both of like, are you personally doing things that are pushing the envelope or are you just consuming things that are pushing the envelope? Like, yeah. like you said, are you just buying those next computers every single year? Or are you developing that next computer every year? I feel like that's a big difference where I looked at myself was like, yes, I could go buy that next thing. But for me, me pushing the envelope is me doing longer and crazier adventures. So like I, left adventure racing because I was comfortable in that. I felt like I already pushed the limits of what a kid could do, doing the hardest races and everything. It was like ultra running and doing these long 1,100-mile runs, and I got some way bigger, crazier plans. It's me pushing that envelope, not being 
just consuming stuff at least putting something out in the world i guess it feels like you like stole my notes man because the next question (laughs) i was going to ask you was what are some of these audacious potentially impossible goals that you have because you've accomplished so much at a young age that it makes me feel like you have this need to continually raise the bar so where do you see that bar going to i know and that's something interesting because like my stepdad had that was like hunter you'll never be happy with what you've accomplished Mm -hmm. and i feel like i i'm always happy with what i've accomplished but i'm not the one that like i don't have any medals up i have no trophies anywhere it's all in a box or thrown away whatever but like i am super proud of everything i've done but i always want to see what's possible mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm so young i know i'm only 22 so it's like i have so many more years of this so it's not like i'm rushing to get everything accomplished but still it's that back of my head of me telling myself as a kid mm-hmm. if you have a dream do it now don't wait five years to do it just do it now figure it out and then you have another one and keep going instead of pushing it off so right now it's like i'm on this i've accomplished quite a bit that I'm pretty proud of. And I've done a lot of these tough races, some of the toughest races in the world from mountain bike racing to ultras to Vinci racing and everything. But now I'm more interested in doing stuff nobody has ever done before. So it's like the FKTs, people have still done FKTs. So me running across Florida, 1100 miles, there's one guy that's done it already. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm not doing something nobody's done before. But that is as much as it sounds bad, but that Florida trail run is training for something else training for me to push the limits of what's possible. Um, so um, I have a few big big goals, but um, main main few are, I haven't shared this with anybody, but yeah. um, the Appalachian <laughs> Trail FKT. Okay. So that's been done before, but that is, I think, the hardest world record ever. I think it's the hardest trail running thing ever. It's, have you researched it? It's 2,200 miles. You have to average 55 miles a day. The best runners in the world tried like scott jurek had the record but his time's been beaten by like six days hmm. uh speed goat had the record it's been beaten by five days so this record is so hard and i know it's that big goal that like i could focus an entire year on and still probably fail and that excites me like what is it uh, it sounds stupid that i don't, I don't really know that much because i know it goes through virginia which is where i'm from but where does it stretch to so it starts right here in my house like i live georgia 10 miles from to it. where to maine Oh, All the way wow. To Maine. Okay. It goes through 14 states. Um, it's the most rugged trail on the world, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, you compare it to the P- Pacific Crest Trail on the West Coast. Yeah, yeah. Pacific Crest Trail has, a th- don't quote me on it, but I think it's 300,000 feet of elevation gain. And it's longer. Where the Appalachian Trail has 500,000 feet of elevation gain. So, like, mm-hmm. I don't know how much experience you have running on the East Coast compared to the West Coast, in a sense. But like I, I know what eight thousand feet feels like, and that kind of hurt over fifty miles. And I got eighteen coming up in this hundred miler, so five hundred thousand yeah. even over days sounds uh, quite painful. My back it's feels like ten thousand average or something like that per day. Uh huh. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, like it's just such a rugged trail, and it's for ultra running. That's what got me into the sport of Lily Avinch ultra running. I saw the world record for the Appalachian Trail, the FKT, and I'm like, oh, I could do that. I was so naive. (laughs) I was like, oh, I'm coming from Vinci Racing. I could stay for multi-days. Like, I can go do the FKT for that place share. Literally, I know that was the hardest world record ever. Mm -hmm. Um, Luckily, I didn't jump straight into it. I've been training basically for the last four years to eventually get to that point. So I feel like once I get to that point, it will be like a full circle. If that's what got me in the sport, I think I'll be content Mm -hmm. with with that. Um, But... From then, I, I want to move on to doing some stuff that had never been done before. 
So a really crazy big dream that I haven't shared with anybody is, are you familiar with the seven summits? Ah, it sounds kind of familiar. So the seven summits is the tallest mountain in all seven continents. That's what I thought it was. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So that, so there's thousands, like I think 2000 people have climbed Everest. About 200 people have done the seven summits. So it's a really small group, but nobody has ever done the sea to summit of all seven summits. So mm-hmm. from sea level to the summit of Everest, it's from sea level to the top of Denali. Because at the end of the day, like Everest, you fly in at 15,000 feet, then you start climbing. So you're already halfway up the mountain, but nobody has ever done them from the sea level. So like t- those type of dreams and not, th- not one, that one particular, but like those type of big dreams that like, mm-hmm. I know it would take a whole year, maybe two years of planning to get to that point, to actually attempt it. And I still might fail. That excites me more than me going and winning hard rock or winning UTMB. So it's definitely more your feet driven rather than like race or metal driven. Yes. It's for me, I do not care about medals. I do not care about the praise and the accolades and the fame, whatever. It's more of at the end of my life, looking back and being like, I've done that. I've accomplished that incredible thing. Not Mm -hmm. I stood on top of a podium so you can, people it's like, man, Hunter's so great. But then next day, next year, somebody else is standing on the podium and they're so great. It's more of like me looking back and being like, I've accomplished that. I've done that. I've been able to push the envelope further. So like, I feel like a big motivation for me the past, my whole life has been pushing what I'm capable of, but I want to move into the point of like doing some crazy stuff that's pushing what humans can do. I think that excites me more than anything else. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you to, to round off this podcast a little bit about your social media content, because that's actually how I stumbled upon you. I don't know, maybe almost a year ago is, uh, you've made a series of them now but there's funny reels where you're running through the forest you're like well my favorite you know nutrition for ultra running is hershey's chocolate syrup and it's convenient it's got great sugar content or you know you're eating like you know uh, marshmallows or or spam whatever it is so (laughs) tell me a little bit about the uh, origin of that and uh, more importantly have any brands reached out to like partake in that oh gosh um yeah so how to originate it it's, it's such a simple thing. It was like, I feel like diving into content, I, I didn't want to do what everybody else was doing. I mm-hmm. wanted to create a new thing. So I don't consume much content at all. I don't scroll through Instagram much. I just try to create my own ideas. Um, so that running food one, I did not think it was going to be popular. Like I literally talked to my family and they're like, ah, it might get a few views, nothing. But how I came up with the idea was I saw a video of when I was scrolling, whatever, mm-hmm. I saw a video of an ultra runner running with a bag of mashed potatoes and eating mashed mm-hmm. potatoes. And that's a common thing. Like ultra run, I run with mashed yeah, potatoes. Yeah, that's not too that's crazy. A, yeah. Not too crazy. But the comment section were a bunch of people that didn't know ultra running. I'm like, <laughs> what the heck? You guys are so weird eating mashed potatoes. Yeah. This is the weirdest thing ever. And it made me think, it was like, man, I don't think people understand what ultra runners do or mm-hmm. endurance race or anything. It's like, we're, we're kind of exotic animals yes. that like the average person doesn't realize what we do. So I spun that in the head of like, if they think eating the mashed potatoes is crazy, <laughs> let me just come up with the weirdest, craziest foods I can think of. I literally walked down the aisle of Publix mm-hmm. and looked at every single store at the grocery store and um, every shelf. I was like, all right, that's a weird item. I'll write that down. Okay, I'll write that down. So I have a list of like a hundred. <laughs> I still have to go through, but um, basically butter was the first one a stick of butter i'm like that's mm-hmm. probably the most ridiculous if somebody sees me gnawing on a stick of butter they'll be like it stops the scroll and be like what the fuck is going on 
And the cool thing is I think I create a cool community around that yeah. of half the people are in on the joke. Yeah. So like ultra runners are in on the joke. Yeah. So they comment like, oh yeah, I also run with sticks of butter. And then the other half of people is like, they watch the <laughs> video and they see that me running with butter and they'll fall for it. And then maybe they'll be like, oh no, this isn't real. And they go to Look the comment the section <laughs> and everybody is serious about it. And then all my comments of it is like dead serious. And people yeah. are like, holy shit, well, this am is I, real. I was going to say, my comment on one of your videos, I think it's one with sprinkles, has like a thousand likes. It's like the most liked comment I've ever had. And it's, yeah, it's just people that are in on the joke, obviously. Because I'm like, oh, it's not my lack of effort. It's the sprinkles that I'm missing. So, exactly. Uh, have any brands reached out to get involved with that or like responded? So the funny thing is I, the title of the thing is I'm a sponsored athlete from like yeah, yeah, that Valley Ranch. That is and, part of the joke, yeah. Um, but like all, almost all the brands have commented on the video. So like okay. they comment on it, but hasn't anybody branded like partner with it. But They're then I started out. that. Yeah, I know. I'm missing out on some <laughs> Hidden Valley Ranch money. Yeah. But um, <laughs> part of the brand also is that um, I, I started one with gear, sort of the same format, but with gear. So like yeah. I have a backpack, back, backpack company that works with me. And I was like, what's a unique oh, yeah, I saw that one. marketing that I could do for them? So I started with the drawstring backpack. And it's the same type of format. It's like, stops the score. Like, what the heck is this dude doing? And mm-hmm. then it's a product at the end. But that's the only. What is the goal, which obviously it's like, oh, grow my following, whatever. But what is generally your strategy or goal with social media? Because especially from, I'm sure everyone in the adventure racing world, for the most part, like you said, is older and don't have social media. And they might even be incredible racers super worth knowing and you know wise beyond their years but completely unknown right so what is your kind of perspective with that yeah i'll say something about the adventure racers i i still think and i stand behind i think adventure racers the top guys in the world are the best athletes ever like they're so underrated but nobody really knows adventure racing besides the tv shows we have every few years or so mm-hmm. so it's like those guys are so impressive. But again, they're older. They don't have social media or anything. Um, so for me, my I guess my motivation with social media is really I love making videos. Like I have so much fun making the videos and seeing the reactions to it and all. Mm-hmm. But it's more of um, building the social media. I don't want to make money off people. I don't want to like nonstop sell them a product. It's more of doing these. I, I realized doing these big, crazy adventures, I need sponsors. Yeah. In order to do the seven summits, in order to do the application trail, all these different things, I need sponsors. And for me, if I could prove that I can do these incredible adventures and still get millions of people to watch, I think that is a great combo that then I don't need them to pay me a salary or anything. I just want you to partner with me and help me do these crazy adventures. That's mm-hmm. what motivates me to do the social media in a sense. And yeah. Gotcha. Well, where can people find you and all the, the craziness that you're getting involved into? Oh, uh, you can find me out in the woods. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, on Instagram is my main where I post the most uh, at Hunter Leininger, and then YouTube is Endurance Hunter, and that's about it. Yeah, perfect, man. YouTube well, and Instagram. Yeah, well, I appreciate uh, our conversation. I'm looking forward to it. looking forward to following you. Um, running across Florida and, and everything else you got planned. But uh, if you guys enjoyed the podcast, make sure you share it. Give Hunter a follow, and uh, we'll catch you guys in the next one.